For years, decades, and eons to come, mankind will look back upon these pearls of wisdom with the same reverence usually reserved for scripture and inspirational quotes hanging in psychiatric waiting rooms, pondering its significance, reassessing, and restructuring the meaning. Hi, and welcome to another uh, episode of Square Waves FM. Today is episode number 52. I'm your host, Bianca, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Brian. Hello. I'm like some <laughs> underling supplicant uh, peon. Uh, I've been dethroned and uh, <laughs> defenestrated, and my pants have been pulled down and stuff, too. And you've been whacked with a broom. Yeah. Thusly and thusly. And thusly. Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. Happy to be talking to you again. Hope you've all had a nice week. Mm-hmm. I spent all week sniffling and snuffling and feeling yucky. And now I feel great. And now Bianca's sniffling and snuffling. I feel fine, but I got whatever he was inhaling, and he somehow managed to pass the mucus around. So hopefully we don't play a rousing game of pass the mucus. Pass the mucus. <laughs> Yeah, if you guys want to, like, co-op that with us or whatever, we can hook up over the internet and pass the mucus. That one's so dirty. That does sound dirty. It is dirty. Hi. Beep. Okay. So, why don't we start with our pre-show stuff? We have anything good today? We have birdie names. Ooh, birdie names. Why don't we give a birdie update? Okay, so, for those of you who were listening and know, uh, to the last one, you, uh, we have a, we now have procured with a breeder a, uh, Pineapple Baby Conyer, which we will be bringing home early to mid <coughs> March. Yeah, we got about five, well, five weeks or so. Yep. So we procure, we we uh, put a deposit on one. Mm-hmm. It's so adorable. It's super adorable. We got some. We took a picture last week when we went to go visit the aviary breeder, and we got to hold them in our hand and yep. stuff like that. And we got, and I got an update yesterday. My gosh, it's going so much, and it has more feathers, more colors, it's, and it's even more eager. It's so eager. It's pretty eager. So we don't know which we're going to get. We uh, When we went to the aviary, the lady told us that uh, we were, like, the second uh, pers- the second uh, party to put down a deposit on their two available pineapple green cheek conures. So uh, the other buyer expressed a preference in a female chick just because she had another female and uh, didn't want them to get busy i guess <laughs> doesn't stop uh, most species of birds from getting busy regardless of gender uh yeah that's right birds like to share the love no matter who they're with don't they mm-hmm. so we just uh we just heard back from her that she had these birds dna sexed because you can't really tell the gender by Looking at these birds, they are not sexually dimorphic, this breed of parrot. You can't tell at all what gender they are. I have no idea how the birds themselves know what gender each other is. It must be like pheromones or something like that. To my eyes, they look identical. Mm -hmm. So we found out now that uh, both of the available chicks are boys. So we're going to have a little baby boy in our house. For the first time, as long as you and I have lived together, that we've had pets... I've always been outnumbered female to male, <laughs> which is pretty sweet ratio if, if you ask 
any red-blooded heterosexual Canadian man. Yep, because before that, our, our cat, the cat was female. All the birds, except for one, were female. That's right. So, haha, you can be outnumbered for once. True, until I consider getting another bird. Yeah, well, let's cross that bridge when we get there. But yep. uh, so that means that we have a little bit more focus on the type of name that we want to assign. When we had our budgies, you can't really tell the gender of a budgie until they're how old? Like three, sometimes like three months old or four months old, depending three or on four the bird, months old, or depending on the maturity. Yeah, until puberty. But sometimes, if you're lucky, the uh, the white nose rings on the seer, which is just a piece of, which is like a colorful, a part of the uh, beak that turns a different color depending on the sex. Yeah, around the nostrils, yeah. the upper part of the beak. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can tell. We were with some of our birds. We are quite fortunate because the rings were quite prominent. And when the white rings are prominent, you know you got a girl. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not as noticeable as in the case of one of our other budgies who turned out to be a girl, but she didn't have very strong. Uh, White, white rings around her nostrils. Yeah. So anyway, we know we got a boy coming. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go ahead and mention some of the names that have been suggested. We asked, was it on the podcast or just on Twitter? I think it was just on Twitter. We asked people to recommend some names. Yep. So why don't we go through those? And why don't we, did you put them in the notes? We should say you didn't. Why don't we uh, talk about some of the names that we were considering too? Yeah. Even we, the stupid ones. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'll uh, pull that up for you. Okie dokie, Smokey. Okay, got that right here. Here's my, here's our list of, here's our maybe, maybe our baby pile. Maybe baby pile. <laughs> maybe baby. <laughs> All right, well, let's start off with uh, the ones that have been suggested to us mm -hmm. by our very good friends on Twitter. So, uh, Emma, you're at M Malone. A.K.A. Amirat Akago. He says, how about Akira Toriyama? Akira's general, a general neutral name. and Gender neutral name. Sorry, gender neutral name. And Tori means bird. Tori. That's a cute one. We sort of tossed that one around. Mm -hmm. So that's in the maybe baby pile, I believe. Yes. And I, but, of course, he didn't. I'm like, well, we're going to call it Tori. Why can't we call it Snaby Snurd? We're not calling it Snaby Snurd. Do you want to explain Snaby Snurd? Um, a while ago with our other uh, budgies, when I was ra hand raising the youngest, I got carried away with calling baby bird, um, and, and one of our birds, baby bird, and I got <laughs> carried away and I wound up instead of saying baby bird, I said snaby snurd. I am going to include in our show notes an, X an XKCD comic which talks about the names that you have for your pets over time. It's like a scatter chart or something like that. Mm -hmm. It will explain this situation very well, and if you've ever had pets, then you will nod your head vigorously in agreement, we promise. Mm -hmm. That it's will explain everything. So next down the list... Oop, let me go back there. Next on the list, we have uh, Joe Mastriani. Hello, and, Joe, and hello, I Akigo. think you're looking at the wrong one. You're looking at Topic Cat. Oh, fuck. We have so many wonderful uh, participations from our oh, good. listeners this week. It looks oh, looks like we have something from Mr. Trolls. Mr. Trolls. Gee, I wonder how he got that name. <laughs> because yeah. the name that he has recommended for our little darling is... Fluffy McShitpants. Fluffy McShitpants. I believe you got a response to that name uh, yes. from one of your Twitter fo Twitter followers. Yes, I actually did get a response to that. One of my followers, um, <laughs> Mariana and Sunny, one of the many bird tweeters that I have following me, says no to Fluffy McShitpants. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be very popular. Then again, to put this in perspective, Mariana and Sunny. This is one of those Twitter accounts where it's not really the pet owner who is tweeting. It is like 
someone tweeting on behalf of their pet as if their pets are tweeting themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's like a, a, a very special sort of mentality. I'll kind of I leave mean, it at that. Yeah, then of course, I also follow uh, Common Bird, which is like... Oh, that one's fantastic. Yeah. Common Bird. I'll look it up for you so you can put it in the show notes. Essentially, for those of you wondering, Common Bird just tweets things that a bird does, like flapping. It'll write flap, 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 flap. Or if it's uh, chirping, you will write chirp, chirp, chirp. Or hop, 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 hop. Or just, sure, a parody account, basically. Yeah, it's really cute. Satirical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, no disrespect to Mariana and Sunny, because you have to be an eccentric enthusiast in order to make an account like that. And people like that are usually very good-hearted people who love their pets deeply. And I mean, even though we hatched our own budgie from the egg, we still called ourselves her mommy and daddy. So that's how that's how bonkers out of our gourds we are. Yeah, and uh, this is one of my 605 followers. Oh, you want to <laughs> you want to wave around your Twitter bulge? Yeah. Fine, let's see what I got. I'm sure you're beating me. Accounts? Yeah. 466 Sixty-six followers? Get on it, people. <laughs> Wait, you don't like me? I don't know about you. I, have, I, I, I tend to block and I tend to block and report all the spam accounts. I don't know if you do that. I don't really get spam accounts. I don't think anyone. Oh, I get lots. I don't think anyone really wants to bother me because I'm one of those crazy people that tweets about bird stuff, and I think they leave pet owners alone. Yeah, it's true. I don't like to bother crazy people. I don't like to pick them with my <laughs> poke them with my stick. All right, what else we got? Um, oh, what? we have Mike T. Uh, v Tech I M on Twitter. He is the uh, awesome uh, composer of the uh, Orion Trail game. and uh, Rainbow Kitten? Rainbow Kitten. That's the guy. And he also has written some really good albums, kind of chiptune, jazzy, techno-style albums. And He kick-started something that you backed as well. Yeah, that's right. And I backed him for a higher tier so that he said anyone who backs him at the $25 tier can submit a sample and he'll make a whole song out of the sample that you send him. And so I sent him like 45 seconds of uh, Conyer chirping and beeping. Ah. Poor guy. He's going to have to make a song out of that. But <laughs> it's a nice way to or immortalize our beloved Kimmy, which she already is, thanks to this gorgeous painting on our wall. Thanks, thanks to Ben, ben Chandler. Thank you, Ben. Hi, Ben. So Mike T recommends the name Pip, which is kind of an awesome name for a Conyer because that's like this sort of a beeping sound that they make. And it's a boy. That's the boy from... Uh, Great Expectations. Thank you. Great Expectations. He's also in South Park. That, that's a good name. I kind of like that name. That's a charming name for a bird. Yes, it is. Uh, we have another one from Ulf Erden. I hope I've said his name correctly. Hello, Ulf. Oh, I love this name. You guys are going to love this name, too. He recommends the name Adlib, which is such a cool name for a bird because it's like a musical singing kind of a name. That's a cool name. But that didn't really fly with, with Bianca, so that's cool. Mm -hmm. It's a good name, but didn't fly with me. Yeah. All and right. so then, from the same user who objected to uh, Fluffy McShit Pants, they said, if it's a girl, Fiona. You know, like Fiona Apple, Pineapple, Conyer. <laughs> Fiona Apple, like Pineapple. That's cute. Yeah. Except Fiona is not the most masculine of names, I yeah. suppose. So I uh, tweeted back to her explaining that we got it. We got a DNA sexing test done on the on the uh, charming Boyd, and uh, they Boyd. responded back to me with, "What about Pinot?" Pinot? Yeah. Like wine? Pinot uh, Grigio? <laughs> I guess. Pinot. I like it. It sounds very phallic. 
<laughs> you would too. <laughs> so those are pretty good names. I yeah, think. those are all those are all some nice names. They all have some promise. Uh -huh. Bianca and I did some uh, some uh, spitballing, brainstorming as well. So we haven't really decided on anything. Let's say the top one last, shall we? Okay. Well, for shits and giggles, I had suggested on a previous show uh, Socrates, and in sock for sh socks for short, oh. which also is a reference to uh, the raccoon in um, Warlords of Draenor when oh. you're talking when you're talking to. Uh, uh, Pickles Scully. Yeah, that's right. Pickles Scully, yeah. Pickles Scully, yeah, it's in the flashback thing. Yep. Um, Socks. Oh, I didn't even remember that reference, because th that's a really funny reference. We're really trying to go for nerd references of various types. Yeah. Aristotle, or Ari for short. That's cute. Except I work with a guy named Ari. He's a big, fat Greek guy. And his name is like 14, literally <laughs> like 14 <laughs> syllables, his first and last name. Um, but he's a great guy. There's much worse names. Let's see. Three of them are... Uh, from from our Twitter followers. Mm -hmm. um, going down the list, next we have Togo. This would be from Guild Wars Factions, a reference to Master Togo, who we refer to as Master Nogo because he is the slowest moving NPC we've ever encountered. Yeah, Master Nogo, because he had all these escort missions and you kill everyone way faster and then he's like strolling along, giving you time to kill the guys that are already dead. Mm hmm. Master and by the time he gets there, you're like, okay, let's run back now. And he has to have his own little spiel. Mm -hmm. um, we should say, by the way, that we're sort of uh, considering names that a bird might be able to pronounce easily. Because mm -hmm. Conyers are not the strongest talkers, but they are known to talk. Yeah, and so they kind of have this awesome grammarly voice. Yeah, that's right. They are mimic. Our last Conyer, Kimmy, she could say baby. Except for when she screwed it up and said "wavy," which was super cute. <laughs> oh, that was so cute! And she also mimicked your uh, whistle. <whistles> yeah, rip! I can't whistle. That mm -hmm. was that was we we surmised that was Kimmy's name for Bianca. Yep, that was that was her way of getting my attention when That's I was right. out of the room. So I had to uh, call it back to her to make her happy. Yeah, she would only do that when you had stepped out of the room, which was so cute. Yep. Oh. Let's see, going down the list, Vol'jin. Vol'jin. The current leader of the Horde and yep. the uh, chief of the trolls. trolls, not not our trolls, but the trolls, the troll race in the world yep. of Warcraft, Vol'jin. Uh, Brian wanted Ericoia, which oh Ericoia, that's right. There's the bird a people. there's yeah there's a race of bird people in World of Warcraft called the Ericoia. And they're super duper cool. Yeah. I love the Arakoa until they were voice acted in the last expansion, and they're so in the current expansion, they're so annoying. Yes, they are. They're always like rah, rah. Yeah, they're irritating. Yeah. And, and yes, oh, and before you say it, yes, we have ruled out Cedric. <laughs> I am not naming my bird Cedric because I did not like uh, Cedric in Harry Potter. He was a who was Cedric in Harry Potter? Oh, he's that dude who died in the labyrinth during the Goblet of. The Goblet the, of Fire. Oh, I don't remember. During the uh, the Cup Championship, where Harry was inadvertently entered so that uh, Voldemort could kill him, even though he was underage. Same one where George and um, Fred tried to cross the uh, line by casting an aging spell on themselves to fool it, but it didn't fool them, and it threw them out of the uh, Cup's ring. Voldemort tried to kill him while he was underage. Is that, like, doubly no. bad? I know what you mean. <laughs> Like like he could, yeah, he couldn't have Potter couldn't have entered the competition without someone submitting his name. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Moa. Isn't a Moa bird? 
Guild Wars, once again, had these creatures called Moas. And they were like these flightless birds that just walked around the plains. Well, like, it's a real bird, a Moa. It's a useless, flightless piece of shit is what it is. Oh, they're... New Zealand, where? Oh, past tense. And they look exactly like this in Guild Wars, don't they? Yes, they do. I had a, I had the coveted black Moa, which was like the rare Moa. Yeah, me too. You too. Everyone had that fucking black Moa, dude. Yeah, everyone had the rare Moa. That's why it was the rare Moa. Mm-hmm. Down the list, this was my suggestion. We could <laughs> call it Joey Malone. Joey Malone. Except I argue that that's like the perfect name if you have a pet kangaroo. <laughs> so we're holding out for that day. We're going to save that name. We're not getting a pet kangaroo. But we have the name. We're three quarters of the way to to uh, kangaroo ownership. Uh, you don't think uh, Canadian customs would appreciate us smuggling a kangaroo over the border? Oh, so we'll have to find breeders in town. Don't you want a kangaroo? They look so huggy. You can, like, sleep in their pouch, can't you? That's my understanding. Don't you remember the Simpsons episode where they stuck their feet in and it was all goopy? Oh, yeah, mucus. Yeah. So? And not all kangaroos have pouches. What? All right, this this is a little more complicated than I had thought, apparently, so why don't we move along the list then? Okay. Guybrush, as in Guybrush Threepwood. Oh, oh, as, as opposed to the other Guybrushes? Yeah. <laughs> Guybrush is kind of a cool name, and Conyer uh, is kind of a piratey parrot. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a consideration, too. Although, truth be told, I'm not the world's biggest Monkey Island fan, mm-hmm. but it is a very cool name. Yeah. Booker. Booker. Bioshock, for those of you who don't remember. That's right. Which is a game I like a lot. I, I'm not I'm not head over heels in love with it, but Booker seems like a great name for a bird. Mm-hmm. And it's got those nice, two nice hard consonants in it, which mm-hmm. is uh, key for any bird who doesn't, like for the smaller parrots, because the greats have pretty pretty easy time with most letters. It's the smaller mimics that tend to have to struggle with our otter uh, Consonant and sound combinations, mm-hmm. which is why when you you see information on uh, training your bird how to mimic or talk, they t- they say they say that the first words you teach it are the ones with more harder sounds like baby bird, and pretty bird. They have those nice little those really stress. Yeah, the consonants. Mm-hmm. And of course, to satisfy my the inner uh, Star Trek fan, uh-huh. I have set I have quark. For quark. Quark. For those of you who don't remember, that's Deep Space Nine. He's uh, the Ferengi bartender. Was he not in... Was he only in Deep Space Nine, or did he make an appearance on Next Generation? He made an appearance in uh, Voyager. Voyager? Uh, first in the, pirate, in the pilot episode. Oh, really? Yeah, because they start off at DS9. Oh, uh, that's right. And uh, before he goes... Before they uh, depart... Uh, uh, Ensign Kim and uh, Tom Paris are uh, in Quark's bar, and uh, Quark tries to sell uh, Ensign Kim a souvenir of sorts, and uh, Paris talks uh, Kim out of it. Want a hose lengthener? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he talk, talks him out of it, saying it's cheap Ferengi garbage. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a proud name for our birdie then, Quark. Mm-hmm. And we have another one from Star Trek. Sarek. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Sarek and not Sarak, Sarek is the name of Spock's father. He makes an appearance in both the, the original series and in uh, Next Generations. Which is pretty cool, as the same character, too. Yep, same with... Uh, and he's changed so little. Mm-hmm. He's terrific. He's, he does such a good job of like playing the, 
brash, mostly emotionless, but kind of emotions betray him a little bit, sort of apart. Mm-hmm. Sarek is great. And the other guy was Sarak, which was like the progenitor Vulcan. Of the uh, Vulcan... Uh... Mentality or whatever, mm-hmm. the emotionless mentality. Mm-hmm. He was like the Gandhi. He was like the real world Gandhi of... As opposed uh, to the uh, Civilization Five Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, which, which is like how the Vulcans used to be, emotional and warlike. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our... Oh, and one other name that just kind of came to us and we decided actually sounds like a very good bird name. It's very cute. Is at the top of the list. Oh, yes. For some reason, Brian lied. This is not my personal choice, but uh, he suggested Alfie. Alfie. After Alfie Banks from A Golden Wake, I think Alfie... Okay, he's a salesman. <laughs> yeah. I think Alfie is a cute bird name. But, it uh, would be a cute bird name. We'll see. We also looked... We All of our other birds were named, except for Kimmy, who was named when we bought her. All of our other birds were named after characters from Phoenix Wright. So we were looking at various names. They had to be male names this time, anyway. And we looked at the English and the Japanese names, and none of them really did it for us. I wanted to call it Mitsurugi, but Brian's like, but we already had a Miles. Yeah, that's right. Mitsurugi was uh, Miles Edgeworth's name in Japanese. Uh, in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of our first budgies was named Miles, and she was an enormous sweetheart. She okay. was a super unique, super unique bird, extremely docile, extremely sweet. Okay, pinchy. Because pinchy, because she, she was so coddled. And when she would bathe in a cup, she would florf herself out into this humongous round football of fuzzy feathers. And uh, when you hold her, held her up to your lips, then she would nibble your lips very gently to give you little birdie kisses. That was a great budgie, a beautiful, classic green perfect Australian spots, budgie. Perfect stripes, perfect wing marks, perfect everything. Like, even perfect cheeks. Like everything was, this was a symmetrical bird. This bird could have constituted a show bird. Uh-huh. Had, but she wasn't English, so I doubt anyone would have even looked at her twice. I know, because she was a classic Australian budgie. We loved her to bits. She was our sweet little baby, but she died, we think, of a fall or something like that, because there was nothing physically wrong with her, but we just found her motionless one day when her uh, cage mates were all right. So we think she must have had a fall or something. Mm-hmm. Poor little girl. We loved her like crazy. We've got a painting of her with her cage mate Phoenix, our, the very first uh, budgies we ever uh, had, the, the first birds we ever bought. Right after we had Crystal, who I had put down at 19 years. Yeah, our cat. So it was Jenny Pattison. Hi, Jenny, who painted a gorgeous picture of Phoenix and Miles. Very, very charming and sunshiny. If you've ever seen Jenny, we, I, I'll see if I can find a link to her Tumblr or something. If you've ever seen any Jenny Pattison painting, all of her drawings and paintings have this quality about them where where they're just like they're they're just radiant with like positive energy. Everything is so smiley and adorable and optimistic and positive. I don't I can't describe it quite. Uh Jenny Pattison Tumblr. I will find some pictures of hers. I guess we could uh, also link her uh, Twitter account. Yeah, sure. Jenny Patterson Twitter, and I'll also give a, give you guys a uh, f- photograph of our paintings by Ben and Jenny, because they brighten up our lives every single day. We're mm-hmm. so proud of these paintings to have in our homes. Yeah. So, let's see. I think we also sh- I think we should be moving on at this point. Okay, let's move I on. I think you skipped Ben's nice letter. I didn't skip nothing, lady. All right. Um, 
Yeah, I thought and I thought, but I couldn't really think of any other news or anything to cover this week. I guess I was sick and I did a lot of napping and smelly crap like that, and so I haven't had my eyes as open to the world as I guess I usually have. So luckily, to uh, to more than compensate for that void, we have a letter and three voicemails today. So happy to have that stuff. So... Our first letter, why don't we cover the letter? This is a letter from our very dear friend, Ben Chandler. And since you sound like uh, Hunky McGoosebeak this week, I will read the letter. How does that sound? I am not Hunky McGoosebeak. Wham! Honk. You're all hunky. You got a, you got a hunky, hunky snot beak. You're, it's, it's, and it's all your fault. Yeah, probably. Okay. Why, would you rather read it? No, you read it. Okay, I'll read it. You want a glass of water or anything before I continue? No. Okay, here we go. Dear Podcast Admiral Bianca, local Minion Brian. Loyal Minion Brian. Loyal Minion Brian. Fuck fuck right (laughs) off, pal. And all square pegs. Let's not think too much about the round holes. (laughs) Thank you for your kind words about shard lights in your latest episode. Oh, yeah, and they went gold this week. Good for you guys. Very good. It's very encouraging to hear words of support from friends, and it's always interesting to know that there's people following the production of a game from the outside. I realize I don't discuss my game development process much beyond our podcast, as I prefer to let my work speak for itself, but I do know that it can be interesting to see someone else's project take shape. A comment on the debates between yourselves and Francisco. We are disorganized. Don't let my co-host try to persuade you otherwise. But as you yourself have said, therein lies the joy. We tried doing an edit-heavy, tightly scheduled podcast for the first few episodes, and it stopped being fun. So now we enjoy a much looser approach. I doubt we'd have lasted if we hadn't changed. Another point in your latest episode was for your desire to see a Canadian iteration of the Truck Simulator franchise. It brought to my mind a game that I had seen on the Lazy Game Reviews YouTube channel, Cross Country Canada. I'm curious if either of you have ever encountered it. It looks like a much, much simpler version of something like Canadian Truck Simulator, and the idea seems quite interesting and sweet to me. We'll talk about that when we're done, yeah? Yeah. One last point. It was fun to hear Brian discuss the marketing strategies that involve catering to the innate satisfaction of rummaging through bins full of DVDs, further proof of the fundamental pleasure that we derive from the act of exploring an unknown and learning about it, even if the dusty loot we traipse home with afterwards is just a handful of inexpensive and unwanted films. Hooray! Hooray! Sorry for the long time between letters, and my sincere condolences for the loss of your beloved birds. It was very sad news to hear, and I hope your new bird settles in easily when the time comes for them to join your family. Huru for now, Ben. What the fuck is a huru? I don't know. I think that's like some kind of deadly Australian spider. Oh, I thought it was some sort of Australian mating call. Huru! That's how you call the spiders. So thank you so much, Ben. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And we hope to uh, we hope uh, to hold your attention a little bit better now that we're uh, keeping our podcast like down to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Minimum for us anyway. It's still longer than most podcasts. Yeah. All right. So let's go through this. Um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so he says... Um, About cross-country Canada. Oh, well, first... Oh. Sorry. First, I wanted to just tackle his first paragraph. I'll say something very quickly where he mentions that he doesn't discuss his game development process much. Um, so I will say that he does uh, contribute uh, some material for the developer commentary that they put in uh, Wajedi games. So those are always enjoyable to listen to. I'm, I'm behind on a lot of those. 
uh, I need to I need to check those out because I love hearing about the process, especially when you have one of his backgrounds or animations right in front of you and get to hear about it. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's an achievement for listening to all of the uh, commentary, I think there is, as a matter of fact. Yes, there is in all of the uh, in the Blackwells, mm -hmm. and probably in the other ones too. So those are some that we'll have to go and mop up. Mm -hmm. um, that also kind of brings to mind, though, uh, co composing mod music as I used to do. That was always kind of nice to, I don't know, I had a special feeling knowing that I was not only releasing music to the world, but also releasing it in an open source format, because I learned so much about that craft just by examining the work of others in, in great detail. Like, there's no secrets when it comes to open source uh, art. So uh, I don't know if that's something that's realistic in the world of commercial games, when you can have your uh, assets ripped out and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to make that... Uh, Make that uh, parallel. Draw that parallel. Yep. Uh, do, do, do. Okay, let's talk about uh, Cross Country Canada. Why don't you go first? Because you introduced it to me. Yep, I first played it in grade two as part of class part of the class requirements. We had Commodores in my school. Well, it was a brand new school, so the and uh, it was in a brand new neighborhood. So the board of education decided to actually spend some money on it. It's now a rundown piece of shit, but. <laughs> That's beside the point. What do you expect? Ottawa builds nice schools and then... Uh, Neglects them? Exactly. So we had Commodores. We had this. It was pretty awesome. But it's quite different from the uh, from the other games in that you don't know where the fuck to pick up your stuff unless you have all the manuals. And so mm. every city has its own uh, specialty item that you have to pick up to deliver. And so you usually... Ha so what would happen is you would have... Um, Five, uh, four items that you would have to pick up and then deliver to a final destination. And those items would typically be within your province. And then to get to the uh, places where you're, the uh, different uh, cities, you would have to actually type the direction like N for North, South, S for South, NE for Northeast, NE, and NW for Northwest. Yeah, it had a little text parser on the bottom where yep. you, could type, you could type words or sentences or whatever and then press enter and then it does a command. Yep, you had to actually type, turn on truck, or type, or turn on, to turn up, to turn on the ignition. You had to, you could type and do up seatbelt, and you got, like, a safety message praising you for doing up your seatbelt. You had to actually type, turn on wipers if you got encountered snow or uh, rain. Mm -hmm. Um, you had, and, uh, you could choose to speed up, but it came at a risk, because you would often get pulled over by blinking lights. Right. You could also pick up hitchhikers. Oh. And I remember you also had to um, eat and sleep. And fill up on gas. Right. So in some ways, it has it has features that even uh, Euro Truck and American Truck Simulator don't have. Yeah. But it's an educational game, and I guess at its heart, it's a geographical game. Mm -hmm. It just teaches you all the different, or many of the different major cities of Canada. Yes, it does. It's quite good. Yeah, it's really neat. But it doesn't have the, uh, but there's no road exploration and you can't really see anything, and but you got you do get a nice little uh, zoom in of the place you you are in. Oh yeah, like one landmark picture or whatever, isn't it? Uh, no, that's Not when even? you arrive. I'm just talking about the map you see. Oh. It shows where you are, and it shows the different directions you can go into the different towns. Oh yeah, it shows like a map of is it of the province or is it even closer than that? Well, if you're in a big province like Ontario, it divides it into uh, like two or three segments. Quebec it divides. 
New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, those aren't divided because they're so small, and PEI isn't divided. I think PEI might even appear on the same screen. Okay. Oh, I don't even think it did because we didn't have Confederation Bridge at the time. Hmm. PEI is Prince Edward Island for those who were wondering. And it's actually an island with no connection to the rest of the land. So in order to get across until the uh, mid-90s, you had to take a ferry. Then they built what's known as Confederation Bridge. Look, one of the longest bridges in Canada connects from uh, the tip of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Basically, PEI, like Canada, is forgotten in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Very articulate. Oh, thank you. All right, what else does he say? He talks mm-hmm. about being rummaging, which we talked about, and our birds, which we yeah, already spoke about. Yeah. Well, hooroo to you too, Ben. Thank you so much for writing to us. No mimicking Australian mating calls. <laughs> Before we continue, by the way, I thought of one little piece of news that I could discuss. Oh, yeah? I, we've, we've had three interactions with the elderly this past, this past week. <laughs> I thought I would summarize those. I, I accidentally complimented one elderly person. Ah. <laughs> I gave the finger to another elderly person. And we had a lovely conversation with yet another elderly person. <laughs> Why don't we? All right. So accidentally complimenting one elderly person. Um, <laughs> Bianca and I last week when we went up to Newmarket, which is like three towns over north of Toronto, where we went to go visit the aviary. Yeah. Um, we went for breakfast and... Uh, very quaint, but very crowded local place there. I have oh, never seen... Oh, um, Daybreak. Yep. That's a great name for a breakfast restaurant. Mm-hmm. I, first thing I noticed at the door is, it opens at 6 a.m.? How unusual. I mean, we're in a pretty big city, so everything opens later. <laughs> yeah, for, for a weekend. That's mm-hmm. especially something. So anyway, Bianca, Bianca stepped away for a second, and when she came back, I said, like, hello, gorgeous. And the old lady sitting next to us said, hello, <laughs> which was super cute. It was so clever and adorable that I didn't even, I couldn't even muster a proper response. But that, that like made my day. That was super duper cute. Mm-hmm. Or would have made my day, but I guess I was uh, already like feeling under the weather from the sniffles and all of that because I was a little cranky. Because then we went to the grocery store after the uh, aviary and uh, some dumb person honked at me for something that I was clearly not being particularly aggressive, at least by Toronto standards, maybe by Newmarket standards, I was being aggressive. I know. So I gave this person the finger, which is what you do in Toronto when someone criticizes your driving ability, right? Regardless of whether or not you're being an insufferable cunt face. Of course, which I'm sure I was. (laughs) But then when I got closer, I saw it was some old lady and I almost, at first I felt a little bit bad for giving an old lady the finger. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm being like an equal opportunity uh, jerk face. Exactly. Good for you. Right? I, I, am, I am judging this person by the content of their, their character and not by what their face looks like. Exactly. You're judging so, the car by the content of its idiotic driver, right. not by the uh, color of their hair or skin. Yeah. So to that end, I'm like some kind of national treasure, I figure. I'm, oh, I'm a paragon it. of goodwill. You're a paragon of goodwill. I don't want to. I guess you know we better uh, tell the rest of the uh, good do, do-gooders out there that they're not needed anymore. Yeah, that's right. I'm here to give the finger to adversity. <laughs> However, geriatric. The slightest adversity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the last uh, elderly person that we had a very lovely interaction with was yesterday. I got off work early yesterday because I stayed late. Stayed late on Monday. And we have a long weekend this weekend in most Canadian provinces. Family Day on Monday. Yeah. 
and in uh, in last Monday was for uh, British Columbia. So uh, yeah, Family Day is common here. It's just that it depends on what province you're in, whether it's earlier in the month or in the middle of the month. And I guess we we have the later one. I guess so. It wasn't common until recently. There were studies done that said that Canada had like the fewest days off, paid days off, statutory holidays of any other like first world country. So they shamed us into adding some more statutory holidays, which works just fine for me. So they, one or two provinces already had this family day. So they added it in Ontario and a couple of other provinces. So anyway, we, uh, I was off yet early yesterday. So uh, what better way to start off a long weekend than to take my lovely wife out for lunch. So we went to Galleria, the uh, Korean our, supermarket. Our, yep, our favorite supermarket too, because uh, all the people there know how to uh, pull their carts to the side. If you've shopped in any other North American supermarket, you know that people love leaving their carts right in the middle of the aisle. Yeah, that's right. No, people are very considerate and well-behaved at this uh, supermarket. Beautiful produce and yummy meats and all that kind of stuff. And so, in addition, they have this awesome kind of food court sort of thing in there mm-hmm. where they make all these fresh Korean meals. And so To you, go and to eat there. Yeah. So you had, like, what was it? Spicy pork stir-fry or something? Yep. With vegetables mm-hmm. and rice? That was real good. And that had you, like, that had you panting like an overheated horse. <laughs> yeah, with some spicy stuff. And, uh, and there was a lot more food than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you couldn't even finish it. And I had beef bibimbap in a stone bowl. Bibimbap. It's like uh, rice and a bunch of uh, vegetables with tofu and a little bit of ground meat. And it has a raw egg, a, a raw yolk on top that you stir in with this really spicy uh, chili tomato kind of sauce stir it all together and it came with this little broth as well it was so good mm-hmm. so oh and we also had uh vegetable dumplings uh yeah steam buns steam buns which are mm. so so good yeah we had had the uh, meat ones previously but these vegetable ones were so much better mm-hmm. so while bianca was just waiting at the counter for the steam buns to get uh, finished off i was doing what i usually do in my idle moments which is i pulled out this app on my phone, it is called, let me bring it up. It's called Hiragana Learn Experiment. I don't know what the hell kind of name that is, but uh, Hiragana is one of the three Japanese alphabets that we're going to have to learn. So I'm I'm slowly working my way through Hiragana and Bianca is like blazing through it like an F1 racer on butter. <laughs> She is so sharp and good with this alphabet stuff. It's incredible how well she can read this language. She doesn't understand it any better than I do, but she, she can read the syllables so, so well. So I was working on that. And this really sweet uh, elderly man next to me uh, asked me just in one word, Japanese. And so and I, I looked over and I saw that he and his friends were like watching uh, a Japanese singer on uh, their smartphone while they had lunch. So uh, I said, hi, hajime mashite. And so, and then Bianca came back too. So he said, Hajime Mashte. And then you said, Hajime Mashte, Dolio Yoroshiku. Yeah. And I said, Yoroshiku Onegaishimas. And they returned it. Mm-hmm. Did we say what these mean? No, we haven't. And they have, and what's interesting is, these are like the very elaborate ways of saying, It is my pleasure to have met you. Please treat me as a friend. 
Yeah, it's really, really charming. Hajime mashte is what you say to someone you've just met, and it means, I hope we can develop a friendship. And the, a common response to that is, Yoroshiku onegaishimasu, which means, please treat me kindly, which is very sweet. Yeah. They're really charming ways of, of greeting. So I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so then they showed us the video of the Japanese singer that they were singing, and we told them about our plans to visit Japan, just uh, struck up a little idle conversation, which was very, very nice. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the cosmos have been evened out and they're not going to send me to, to hell for my horrible mistreatment of the elderly in the, the previous week. We're, we're, we're good now, right? Powers that be? I'm sure. Powers that be There's that I don't no believe in? There's no heaven or hell. There's just the river sticks and then we encounter Hades. Okay, well then hopefully my karma determines whether I get water wings in the river sticks. Because I love water wings, don't you? Only if you know how to swim. Otherwise, water wings are useless. Oh, really? Do you have your flotuses? The flotuses. <laughs> As it happens, I am quite a good. I'm quite a good swimmer. Me too. I did all my swimming lessons. I did the life-saving swimming lessons, uh, and that's all there were, I guess. But I'm a very strong swimmer. I did all my swimming lessons except the one thing I failed was dive. Was uh, doing the proper dive. I was really bad at that. Perhaps because of my eyesight. I was bad at it because of because I think I might have had just some sort of uh, imbalance in my own of my own because of I don't know why I think when I started facing down I got nervous mm. yeah me I, I everything looked blurry without my glasses so I couldn't see very well and there were these challenges where you had to like pick a penny up off the floor of the pool and stuff in order to pass and I did it eventually reluctantly but that was very hard for me and also my eyes are super sensitive to chlorine so I hate keeping my eyes open underwater even with goggles mm-hmm. my eyes would like burn for an hour after swimming every day so yeah. it was torture Although, at least our pool here in the building we live in uses some sort of reverse osmosis water treatment, which is nice. Oh, that's nice. They suck the pee out through science. Exactly. Everybody's swimming to pee. Hooray! Hooray! I guess we'll go to our voicemails now. We have one from Mr. Trolls, who's one sentence special. No, and actually, we have a multi-sentence special. We have, I have to follow up with Trolls for his one sentence special. Okay, and we have a uh, voicemail from uh, Joe... Uh, whatever his impronounceable last name is. <laughs> yes, we have two impronounceable voicemails from Mr. Joe, as a matter of fact. So then, uh, I'm going to pause the podcast and stick these uh, stick Trolls' uh, voicemail into here so we can listen to it in all its audio fidelity glory. Okay, well, um, screw you, Trolls, and your friggin' 3GP weird-ass phone audio file. <laughs> I'm just playing this shit through my shitty shit speakers. It's three minutes long, goody. Hi, Squares. It's uh, me, the Space Quest Historian. I don't know why I did that in an Italian voice. Um, well, first of all, uh, do apologize for the double voicemail onslaught here, uh, although the other voicemail is slightly shorter, and uh, I, it, it's, uh, it's nice to know that you guys are having at least a mild interest in my little auditory puzzle. I hope uh, your listeners are as well, although I guess... Probably not. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, second of all, uh, my deepest, deepest condolences to that piece of awful news in the uh, last episode. I can't even begin to imagine how awful that must have been. Um, so uh, so I'm not going to dwell on that, but uh, do know that uh, my sympathies go out to you. And thirdly, on a much more positive note, I had an awful good time uh, listening to your um, last podcast where you tried to give each other hints and then try to guess what uh, game you guys were uh, hinting at. So uh, I figured I'd throw uh, four of those in uh, for myself, uh, and you guys can try and guess what they are. And uh, 
then um, next episode, if you don't get one of them uh, or some of them, then I'll uh, I'll let you know which ones you've missed. Um, and uh, you know, I'm just gonna rattle them off, and then you can you know pause the uh, uh, voicemail here and try to guess what it is, and then move on to the next one. Uh, so um, so here we go. We'll we'll start off with an easy one. Red spiky vehicle. Desert, ice, and city. Everyone go squish. <laughs> Wrong checkpoint. <laughs> yeah, did you get it? Carmageddon. Yeah, that, 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 that was an easy one. Uh, so uh, let's try one that's a little harder. Um, they blew up my adoptive family, but at least I got a helicopter ride out of it. My lifelong companion is mildly flustered that he's a vacuum cleaner. I'm going down in life, not up. Holy fuck, that computer has tentacles. Yeah, a little bit harder. Uh, st- still, still not hard enough. Uh, let's uh, let's go with uh, let's go with a good one. I don't know that one. There's no way my husband and I could possibly afford this house. I need to have a word with my real estate agent because there's a family of gnomes living in my barn. The mirrors come alive at night. Again with the drain cleaner. Fantasmagoria? Yeah, that last one was a bit of a giveaway, wasn't it? Um, okay, here's here's the the last one. This one is a toughie. This one is a is a good one. Let's uh, let's see if you get this one. Could have been the most awesome licensed game in existence, but sadly isn't. Main antagonist telegraphs, "I'm evil" within the first five seconds of playing the game. This game comes on how many CDs? Wait, wait I can shoot my boss in the face. <laughs> Beloved 90s TV duo doesn't show up until the very end of the game, and when they do, they look utterly bored. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah? Tough one? Yeah? All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, let's see if you got any of those, and uh, if you did, then golf clap all around. And uh, if you didn't, I'll be back to uh, um, let you know how weak your powers are. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, keep uh, squaring, keep being awesome, and uh, I'll see you around the chrono stream. Hey, thanks a lot, Trolls. We got two of those, yeah? I got Carmageddon, and Bianca got Phantasmagoria. Which I haven't played, but I played enough of it to know that uh, the drain is the big thing. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, I was going to ask you how you knew that, because you've, you've never even touched that game. Nope, but I have a copy of it, and I should play it. You do? Uh-huh. How do you have a copy of that? Uh, Humble Bundle, because I wanted, I don't know, it was cheap. I think, didn't that just come with the seventh guest? I don't think that came with Phantasmagoria. Oh, I did play Phantasmagoria over the winter break. Ah, that's it. Hmm. And it is yet another uh, uh, FMV game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we didn't get the other two. So, hey, ladies and germs, if you know the other two, um, why don't you uh, send us a letter or a tweet or something, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll like quack like ducks in your honor or something. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, try this thing again. But uh, We've got two voicemails from Joe. Let's see if I can stick the first one into Audacity here. Well, they're MP3s. You should be able to. Should be. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bianca. Joe here. Uh, Just getting caught up on the uh, useless peripherals episode. I was off on vacation last week, so uh, I didn't have a lot of time to to listen to the shows. I'm usually pretty up to date, but uh, fell one behind. But uh, as you guys were chatting about useless peripherals, I, uh, I thought of I thought of one that really, really, really stuck out in my mind. 
and uh, it's actually from Apple. Now, I'm, I won't say I'm an Apple fanboy, but I enjoy Apple. I have a, I've had an iPhone for a long time. I, I have a MacBook Pro that I do a lot of my podcasting on, a little bit of uh, mobile gaming when, uh, you know, my Steam games are compatible. But uh, the one that uh, I really have bad memories of is uh, is a mouse, and it's not the one you think. I know everyone always talks about that Mighty Mouse that Apple has, where, you know, if you lean on it the wrong way, it clicks buttons and whatever. That one's bad, but the one that I hated the most was the mouse that came with uh, the first... I believe it was the first generation of iMacs, the ones that were all uh, all different colors. They The laptop versions were like toilet seat covers, but this was actually the... Uh, the desktop ones. Now, I never had one, but uh, when I was doing my undergrad at uh, Concordia University in Montreal, uh, the Internet Lab had all these iMacs in it, and they all had kind of all the stock standard mice, and these mice were perfectly round pucks, which, in theory, doesn't sound all that bad. You know, that's kind of a cool look. Might, maybe it's not super ergonomic. So that's the first thing. They weren't ergonomic. You kind of had to claw them. You couldn't really rest your hand on them. And the second one was because they were not uh, oval-shaped or rectangular-shaped, you couldn't tell where the top was. So when you started using it initially, it'd be fine because you'd put your hand on it and the, uh, you know, the, the wire would be coming out of the top and you'd start mousing around and doing your stuff and, uh, you know, it was great. But after a few minutes, you may not realize it, but you kind of start shifting it around, or at least I would, so that the wire wasn't going straight up and down anymore. It was kind of maybe moving off a little bit to the right. And so you'd move your mouse up, and your cursor would kind of go up and to the right. And maybe you'd be able to compensate without really realizing it, but over time, you'd eventually move the mouse up and your cursor would go completely right or completely left or just not in the direction you intended because the mouse was physically rotating in your hand because you don't look at your mouse when you use it. And, I mean, that thing was just completely ridiculous. And I imagine that people who actually owned one, if it was possible to, would swap that out for a more conventional mouse. But I don't remember if it used a standard... Uh, a standard serial or PS2 port, or I think actually that was a USB mouse. That was Apple kind of really jumped on on the, uh, you know, I, or maybe it was Firewire. I don't even remember. But uh, yeah, I, I do remember those iMacs because I think those were the first ones that uh, dispensed with the floppy disk and everyone freaked out. Where am I going to keep all my stuff? And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, that was a pretty, pretty awful peripheral that uh, I had some experience with back in, uh, back in university. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Hope to see you soon. And uh, maybe we can arrange some time for you to come back on and have that chat that we meant to have about uh, mech games uh, back before the new year. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank you very much, Joe. So good to hear from you. Oh, that stupid mouse. Yeah, we just took a look at a picture. We'll stick a we'll stick a link to it in the show notes. Um, now that I see the mouse, I know exactly what Joe's talking about. We had an iMac like that in my high school. One in the uh, school library, and it had exactly that fucking mouse. <laughs> oh, that mouse is so fucking worthless. I couldn't figure out how to use it. It's like it doesn't fit in your hand correctly. It's like trying to grab a very flat, very big coin and trying to move it. It doesn't move. It just doesn't have good aerodynamic aspects about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's totally like form over function, right? Uh-huh. It's, just it's like style. I need a hockey stick and a and some ice and then maybe it'll be useful. <laughs> <laughs> I 
those IMAX were sort of cool looking though. Anyway, they the, the all in one things where the whole computer was built into a big CRT monitor, and they had like the neon thingamajiggers on the back of them, and you could buy them in different colors. I mean, as a non Mac guy, it was very easy fodder for us to make fun of. Oh, I know. I mean, it was it was kind of a cool form, but it was. That's about all I had going for it. Well, I really appreciated that it was just one big contiguous piece, and you could insert CDs at the bottom of the monitor. That was that was pretty handy. I like mm -hmm. that. But that's about it. Yeah, that's about it too. All right. Well, thank you, Joe. We've got another voicemail from uh, Mr. Mastriani. Let's uh, get right to that. Okay. Hey guys, Joe again. Uh, got all caught up on the episodes, and uh, looks like this weekend you are going to be talking about, I believe it was something to the effect of good games with crappy bits or hard bits or whatever, and uh, I started talking on Twitter, and uh, you said to send a voicemail, so here's my voicemail. Uh, first good game that comes to mind uh, with a hard bit is, uh, for some reason I'm sticking to space games on this one, and uh, first one is Wing Commander 1. So there's a, there's a mission, I believe it's the second mission in the Kurosawa system, and uh, in that one you have to uh, escort a defecting enemy destroyer, I believe it is, a Rallery, back to the Tiger's Claw, and... I've actually read about this mission, and the mission was apparently purposefully made to be very, very difficult to beat. And that's because up until this point, all the missions that uh, you played in Wing Commander 1 were fairly straightforward. And, uh, you know, you could get through them and you'd be on the winning track kind of the whole time, because Wing Commander, all you know, well-known for having branching uh, mission structure where you have winning track, losing track, blah, blah, blah. And uh, this mission was actually designed to force you onto the losing track for one kind of one one star system. So yeah, it was super hard. Uh, the rallery, the rallery, would always get destroyed, and uh, it didn't really matter a ton unless you really wanted to do a full winning track victory, which provided you with nothing. Though if the game came out today. Uh, there'd probably be uh, an achievement for that, and Bianca would try and do it. But, uh, yeah, that one was really, really hard, really frustrating. I remember trying to do it over and over and over again. Uh, second one is actually still in Wing Commander. It's uh, Wing Commander 3, and uh, there's, a one, there's one mission kind of midway through the game where, again, you have to defend something, but you have to defend uh, the Behemoth, which is the big gun that's going to blow up uh, Kilra. And... Um, this one actually is designed so that you can't beat it. You're not supposed to beat it. The behemoth is supposed to be destroyed. It is actually impossible to beat. The enemies just keep coming until uh, until the behemoth gets destroyed. And I think I may have mentioned this. I definitely mentioned it on my show, but I have. I may even have mentioned it on yours. Uh, that I thought that the uh, the behemoth was, in fact, savable, and I stuck myself at that mission, and I kept playing it and playing it and playing it to the point where I actually bought the Wing Commander 3 strategy guide, and only then realized that the mission is not beatable and it is required for you to quote-unquote fail it to progress the story forward, and uh, I don't know if that was just me, but I didn't think that was made super clear. Uh, finally, last one, again, space game, was uh, X-Wing. X-Wing Tour 1, Mission 8. Uh, anyone who's played X-Wing probably remembers this one. You have to... Oh, I'm trying to remember. You're in a Y-Wing, and I think you have to, like, save Admiral Akbar or something like that, but basically there's a whole whack 
of uh, Imperial transports. You have to inspect each of them, find the one that has Akbar or the slaves or whatever it is that's in it, and then you have to defend it while it's being, uh, you know, captured and rescued by a shuttle. But the problem is there's a Star Destroyer that jumps in, drops TIE bombers, jumps out, and the TIE bombers are really far away, and you have to go and meet them. And then the uh, Star Destroyer or frigate or whatever it is jumps in way on the other side of uh, the transport and dumps more bombers who come in. So you basically have to kind of race back and forth in the slowest ship in the game to uh, to defend this transport. And again, very, very difficult, very frustrating. It took me a while to get past that one. And... Uh, yeah, that's that. So thanks a lot, guys. Sorry for the multiple emails or voicemails or whatever you want to call them. Keep it up. Love the show. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you very, very much again, Joe. Such a pleasure to hear from you twice in in one week. Um, all right. So he talks about a few things here. So, yeah, I forgot that his uh, second voicemail was on today's topic. So why don't we address this voicemail? We'll do a quick, uh, uh, a quick rundown of the games we played this week, and then we'll go back to the main topic. Sure, sounds good. All right. So he talks about uh, Wing Commander. Yeah, Wing Commander 1 did have a few really hard missions. As I recall, when I played it as a kid, I would not accept losing a mission. Only once did I even realize, like, did, did I accept failing some missions and then realize that it was on a branching path? And I think it might have been in the Wing Commander 2 manual or something that I, that I later on saw that not only is the path branching, but the branches sort of go back in on themselves. So like if you lose a campaign, then you go to the, the, the crappy sad campaign, but then that gives you another opportunity to win and put you back on the happy track. And so there's between two and three different tracks that you can be on at any one time uh, after finishing the first one. So that's really neat. Um, so I, I definitely remember the one that he was talking about where you capture an enemy uh, carrier, or the Rallery, and uh, the Kilrathi are doing all they can to keep it from falling into your hands, and they just try to blow it up. Um, the, the other one that I remember that was really, really hard from the Wing Commander universe, I think it was from Wing Commander 2. It was from Wing Commander 2. There's a bomber class uh, ship called the Broadsword, which has... Yeah, I know you're laughing. All, all of the ships were named after swords. Uh, the good guy ships were named after swords, uh, the Terran Confederation ships. So the broadsword had a lot of armor, and it had these mass driver cannons, three of them, which did a shitload of damage at a relatively medium or short range. Um, and it was also one of the only ships that was fitted with these torpedoes that were required to destroy capital ships. In Wing Commander 1, capital ships like the Rallery that you had to escort you could whittle their, their considerable shields down with your regular blasters and then blow them up with any combination of uh, your regular uh, bullets or missiles. Whereas in Wing Commander 2, capital ships had these so-called phase shields that were impervious to regular bullets and missiles. You had to use these special torpedoes that only a few ships could carry because they were so big. Um, and they, they had to lock them on for a long time. So there's this one mission where you kill a bunch of, in your broadsword, you kill a bunch of little guys, and then you have to jump deep into enemy territory where you kill a whole bunch of fighters by yourself, and then you have to kill at least one major capital ship by yourself. So it's hard enough just to pick off all the little bad guys in your very relatively slow, short-range, yet highly armored ship, but then the worst was the friggin' capital ships because you'd have to get within range to do this very slow lock of the of the torpedo, meanwhile getting pummeled with uh, 
with the uh, turret fire. So that slowly whittles away first your shields and then your armor and then your major systems and then you're dead. So because you have to be looking at a target in order to establish the slow lock-on, you have to rely completely on your front shields and your front, which regenerates, and your front armor, which does not. So that gets all whittled away. So you finally get your shot off. Then you have to retreat. So you're going uh, away from the ship, relying completely on your shields and armor on the back, the aft side of your ship, and you don't have any afterburners to go faster in the ship, so you're still getting pummeled right in the bum. <clears throat> and then those ships didn't just die with one torpedo, they take two torpedoes, so you had to do it again. <clears throat> so you would get out of range, you would wait forever for your shields to regenerate. I would usually use the speed up, the world speed up. Uh, commands to speed up time in the game to make your shields go extremely slow instead of butt-scratchingly slow. <laughs> <coughs> then you would have to do that torpedo run again. I think it was just one capital ship, but it was so hard. And if you fail it, then you die and you have to start again from the beginning because there's no quick saving in the middle of a mission. And it just took a really, really long time. It must have been like 10-minute attempts or so. That took many, many attempts. Very frustrating. But I never cheated in that game, even though I did learn eventually that there were like god mode command line commands and there were keyboard combinations you could use to blow up all the enemies in the area. I never, ever did that because that game was too much fun for me. Um, and for X-Wing, I believe it was when Joe was on our sh one of the times he was on our show talking about Star Wars games. We had him on twice for that. Um, he talked about how in X-Wing, they all kind of took place in this big arena, sort of a gigantic square arena of space. And all the action would occur over time, like with a timeline. And at five minutes, this group of ships would come in, and seven minutes, this group of ships would come in. So I guess that's what he's talking about here, how it keeps you busy on one corner of the map, and then in your slowest ship, you have to traverse that whole map to go get another another uh, group that spawns in. So he liked that kind of gameplay. Myself, I didn't really like it, because the same ships spawn in in the same place at the same time every time. So you kind of have to fail it and remember what happens when in order to know how to beat it. I don't really like that so much. I guess Wing Commander wasn't all that different. You'd go to an area and the same ships would be there every time. Uh, but at least that felt like you were going from place to place, whereas in X-Wing and TIE Fighter, it all kind of took place in the same uh, area of space. So thank you very much, Joe, for uh, for uh, sending us those voicemails. Love to hear from you. And yes, of course, we have to have you back for your uh, discussion of mech games. You. Uh, Joe was a really good sport uh, when he did. He joined us for our last show of the year when we totally went off topic and just talked about our favorite stuff of the year and didn't even get around to making use of all the notes that I'm sure that he must have taken. So, of course, Joe, you are much more than welcome to join us again sometime soon. Yes, you are. So I guess uh, we'll just quickly wrap up what we played this week and then dump into our topic. Yeah, let's do that. You want to go first, dear? Okay. American Truck Simulator. 1931... Oh, why don't you, do you have anything to talk about in American Truck Simulator? Uh, no, not quite. I mean, they, I described it the previous week. Okay. You've been getting a record number of uh, traffic violations and speeding tickets and collision tickets and stuff like that, and so many of them are not at all your fault. I know. You've gotten speed, you've gotten speed tickets for going under the speed limit. I know! Fucking cops! Oh, and I got a speed, and I got a traffic violation when somebody hit me, when I had the right of way. That happened in Euro Truck 2 sometimes. Sometimes they would just hit you and damage your cargo and cost you a lot of money, but you wouldn't get a ticket. Mm -hmm. That's always been kind of a foible of that simulation engine. But, but apparently they're going to be addressing that in, a, in an upcoming patch. That's good. Or at least they're going to try to address it. Because there is a um, 
the AI has this weird um, mechanic where if it wants to pass a certain threshold and distance away from you, it doesn't stop. And so they're going to try and make it so that the cars will stop if you're ahead of them and try to pull into a lane and you've already made a partial pull in. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, and, uh, they're, and the same p- company is also going to make it so you can legally turn on a red, which you currently can't do in this game, which makes no sense if you're familiar with North American traffic laws. Yeah, yeah. In most places in North America, you can stop at a red light and then turn red. Yeah, so uh, sorry, and then turn right. Yeah. Except in Quebec, you're not allowed to do that. If you're stopped at a right red light, you can't turn right until it turns green. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from Ontario get tickets when they drive in Quebec because they don't know that. Yeah. Um, let's see. I also played a bit of this game, and I'm going to pick it up again. Mm-hmm. 1931, Scheherazade at Scheherazade. the library. What? Scheherazade. Scheherazade at the library of... Pergamum. Oh, so Shih Tzu at the Library of Penguin? <laughs> yeah. Sounds sounds animalistic. Yeah. The Last Dream, Monster Loves You, and um, put some more time into Civilization Five, and I got a new achievement. Hooray. Uh, so I play Civilization Five with the aim of being uh, the diplomat, but unfortunately I sometimes get stuck with asshole neighbors. The ones who declare war on me and send their military units aren't so bad, because I can just, base, I can just let them rub their based on my cheese grater. Yeah, cities are pretty well fortified, so yeah. usually they don't send enough units together to take over one of your cities. They just get themselves killed or mostly killed before hobbling away yeah. on crutches. However, what I can't then are the civilizations <coughs> that send in their friggin' religious units because you can't kill those. Right, without starting a war. Mm-hmm. And you can ask them not to convert you, and they basically they'll either lie to your face or they'll just say, fuck you. And so I give them two chance. I give them a couple of chances, and uh, I assume. But then this one civilization sent three great prophets into my territory, and I'm like, "All right, fuck you, pal. <laughs> I've had enough of this bullshit. I've already been. Con- I've already s- tried to deal with one person. I've already dealt with one of your great prophets. I am not dealing with three of them. So I got fed up. How the hell do they get three great prophets at one time? Uh, they save up and then they send all three over at once. That's so. obnoxious. Because yeah, there's missionaries and inquisitors, which you can use to spread or call religion or religious people. Mm-hmm. And then there's the stupid great prophets, which you can use over and over and over, like four times, which are really effective at spreading religions. Mm-hmm. And they're very annoying. And because they're not military units, they can change the religion of your of your cities, but you can't kill them without starting a war. Yeah. So I got fed up, declared a war, took my, uh, the, the best endgame unit there is, my giant death robot, chomped over the Japanese... Liberated the Persians, went over to the Egyptian, took over, uh, raised the Persian an, an Egyptian city, and got an achievement, Tomb Raider, because apparently I had never taken over an Egyptian city with a burial tomb in it. So I got myself a new achievement, 508 hours into the game. Wow. That game has a lot of achievements, which is pretty cool, because it has you experimenting and trying new things, and not just settling into one strategy or mm-hmm. or playing against this, with or against the same civilizations. Yep. So that's a nice way to make sure that all the different areas of the game are represented. Yep. And then there's scenarios which I don't really do. Yeah. I've done one scenario. The World Wonders one. It's pretty easy. What's that one? It's uh, basically a race to build all the wonders. To hmm. build uh, the seven great wonders. It's really easy. And uh, as long, and uh, the only one that takes a really long time is the yeah, military one. But if you can get but if you uh, get the Greeks, basically you just fight everybody and you can get that one early hmm. on. Yeah, I don't care about the scenarios myself. I just like the the regular open world whatever game, the regular game. Yeah. 
Unless, of course, you decide to rage quit. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll talk about that with my list, because I did have a rage quit. Because I'm at the end of my list, and I figured this is a good segue into yours. Okay, sure. So, yeah, so Bianca and I played a little bit of Civ Five this week together, but I rage quit in the first 20 minutes or so. I had such a bad start, though. Yeah. It started me on this little continent, and not only did I have another civilization, but I had, like, four city-states. So the city-states stay put, and the only way to get rid of them is to kill them or to partner with them or whatever. Um, but they take up valuable real estate when you want to spread your own civilization. That's just space that you can't occupy because somebody else is. So this other civilization, I was trying to strong arm them. They were trying to strong arm me. We kept establishing cities all over the place until the, uh, continent basically looked like it had a bad case of the chicken pox on its <laughs> butt. There are cities were everywhere. We weren't cooperating. We were taking over, uh, resources and luxuries that the other people wanted. We blocked off the uh, the corridors of passage, so without an open borders treaty, we couldn't even walk around anymore. So it was obnoxious. It's the kind of game where you know you're not going to get the resources you need to feed your people, which allows your cities to grow, which allows you to uh, increase production and productivity and build things more quickly and stuff like that. Meanwhile, in the same game, I was on my own little continent spreading like a spreading like a bad case of herpes. <laughs> Very good. So I rage quit that, and I haven't played Civ Five since this week, but maybe we'll pick it up again. That game, once you kind of get going, is consistently interesting. Mm-hmm. I played some American Truck Simulator again this week, too. I actually finished exploring every one of the cities that you can visit on the map uh, as they are released, as they come in the launch version of the game. So that's California, there's 10 cities, and Nevada, there's... No, California is 20 cities, Nevada... 20. And Nevada, there's how many? Like 14 or so? And there's fewer than that. Nevada doesn't have that many. Hmm. So I got an achievement for uh, visiting all the cities in California. There's no achievement for Nevada, which is too bad. You'd think they'd have 50 achievements for 50 states. I don't know if they're going to do like Alaska and Hawaii, but even so, it's not like achievements cost them anything. Mm-hmm. Not that I care that much. And I got an achievement for visiting a way station. I was ordered to stop my truck and have my cargo inspected. So I submitted to an inspection, which was fun, I guess. Have you gotten the achievement for filling up your gas tank? Uh, I guess. I filled up my gas tank. Is that all it takes? Yeah. I must have then. Mm-hmm. So and I've, you got an achievement for earning $100,000. Gold. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I did. You get about, at, at the rate that I'm at, you get about five or $6,000 per, uh, per trip. Mm-hmm. And you need uh, about 160000 to buy your first truck. So I could take out a loan and get a truck right away if I wanted to, but Bianca played Euro Truck Simulator last uh, with that game uh, without taking out any loans, so I figured, okay, I'll try that too. So at five or $6,000 per trip, it takes a long time to afford a damn truck. But until then, you can uh, do short trips, little one-off trips, where you're like a driver for hire and you borrow the trucks of the trucking company that has that contract. So you make less money, but you have a truck to drive. And you don't have to pay for truck repairs or for gas. So it's as good a way as any of learning the the game. Plus it means that you can, when you own your own truck, it means that wherever you just delivered something, that's where you have to take the next job. But when you're doing quick jobs, you can go from one place to another, and then your next job can start in a third place that's not connected to where you are. So it's a good way to explore the map. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to 
when they le release Arizona, which will be the third and final bundled, D uh, bundled DLC uh, state to come with the game. The scenery is great. It's an enjoyable place to drive around. I'm just looking forward to seeing more because that's part of the intrigue is visiting places you've never been. Yeah. Uh, Bianca and I played a little bit of a visual novel called Go, called Go Go Nippon, my first trip to Japan. So we just played for 20 minutes or so. It was a little exhausting because we're playing it super slowly. It has like two sets of subtitles, which is neat. The English subtitles and then one more set of subtitles. So you can set it up in uh, Japanese text, which is like kanji and hiragana and katakana. You can do it in romaji, which is like uh, romanized, uh, transliterated English characters of the Japanese words. And that's how we're playing it, just because it's faster and we don't know how to how to do uh, romaji. Uh, sorry, we don't know how to do um, katakana or kanji yet. We can't read those yet. Or you can do it in uh, simplified traditional Japanese or Chinese as well. So that's been kind of cute so far. For some reason, the girl that you meet has really tremendous bouncy tits. <laughs> So it's uh, all I can do to keep my eyes on the subtitles. <laughs> I played a little bit of The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which is like a walking simulator kind of game, the Redux version. I played a little bit of the original, more of the original that I got into now. We'll see if I have the patience for it. I played a little bit of Cave Story Plus, which is like a side-scrolling, uh, side-scrolling, I guess, like a combat Metroidvania kind of a game where you fight your way somewhere and there's some insurmountable goals or, or area, so you have to go back and find the item that unlocks that area and then you come back again and you can go to the new place and see new parts of the map. I played it in its entirety. I think it started off as a free game, Cave Story, and then I bought Cave Story Plus later on Steam because it was such a great game. I loved it. So I'm a couple of hours or so into that. I played this morning. It's a really good time. And then finally, we weren't playing. It's not something to be played, but we were watching a Japanese show called Game Center CX. Woohoo! which is a game where a guy plays all these really hard old retro uh, Famicom and Super Famicom and PlayStation 1 games. It's an hour-long Japanese show, and there's a website that we found with English subtitles. I'll put it in the show notes uh, with the subtitles uh, included right in the uh, right in the video. So we, we, we think that listeners of the show will enjoy Game Center CX. It's really, really fun, and we're trying to uh, study our Japanese while we uh, watch it. Yep. But it's so entertaining. Even if it wasn't subtitled, it would be extremely entertaining, but uh, do, do give it a try. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's that. Let's go back to our topic then, which is good games with annoying bits. Uh, do you want to read some of the tweets that we got from uh, our listeners? We got lots of feedback on this topic. Sure. Uh, from uh, Darth Helmet, he, uh, we get <laughs> King's Quest Six and its copy protection, The Cliffs of Logic. Oh, I, yep. I hate that part so much. That uh, copy protection, it's a manual lookup. So, and there's no real reference to whether it's a manual lookup. They just ask you these questions, and if you've looked in the manual, you'll know that the answers are in there. And so not only do you have to answer these stupid questions, but you have to quite precisely click step-by-step step all of these little rungs, these little rocks on a cliffside. And if you click the wrong place, then you fall down to your death. So it's copy protection where you basically have to save every other step or so. Very annoying. All right, next. Joe Mastrioni writes, SQ, Skaterama all the way. Yeah, Space Quest 4, Skaterama. I know what he means. He's talking about when the sequel police catch you at the end of the uh, Galaxy Galleria Mall. Uh, in the middle of this mall, which is like a big circle, 
there's this uh, skaterama, which is like this hover skating area. And so you have to kind of swim your way in the right order through this place while being shot at by the, the sequel police. So it's extremely annoying on its own, but I didn't realize until uh, Trolls told us told me years later that if you play the CD-ROM version, which I didn't because I tended to avoid CD-ROM versions of Sierra games because the voice acting was so shit. Um, on the CD-ROM version, there's this timer bug that makes that sequence completely unwinnable if your computer is too fast. So, like, the later in time you played that game, the more of a chance that section would be unwinnable. And there's no indication that it's a timer bug. It just seems like you're doing the wrong thing. So you try all these different things, and you figure you're the problem. So, even when it was working, that was an annoying puzzle. All right, next. Uh, Darth uh, chimes in on this one and says, So do I, really. Hand of Fate and its stupid colored code and the later rainbow puzzle. Yeah, Hand of Fate. That's one of the sequels to Legend of Kyrandia. I disliked the first one enough where I got stuck enough in the first one that I never played the sequel, but maybe that means something to you guys. Mm-hmm. Joe also mentions X-Wing Tour Mission... X-Wing Tour 1, Mission 8, and Wing Commander 1, Kurosawa 2. Right, so we heard about that already. Uh, tro- uh, Space Quest Historian says, Prediction, a bunch of people warning about the old mine road in fourth full throttle. That's right. Stay tuned for that, because that uh, prediction will come true. Robert Menes, the skeleton puzzle in the dig drove me nuts for the first, the first time I played that game. Laying the bones out was a ton of trial and error. Yeah, I remember that puzzle. That was a super annoying puzzle. You find all these like little dinosaur alien bones, and then you kind of found, find these indentations in the ground, and you have to put the bones on the ground, and I think it turns into like a living creature or something when you put the bones down. But there's lots of little small bones, and you don't know exactly where you have to put them. And there's this tail section where the bones get like slightly smaller and smaller and smaller into this long tail, and I would always put them in the wrong order. Even with a walkthrough, I think I got them in the wrong order, and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. That was super annoying. Okay. PC game collectors. Dare I mention the GK3 Gabriel Knight cat mustache puzzle? That's right. I think oh. everybody knows the cat mustache mu- pu- puzzle. Yeah, even I do. Do you? Yeah, I remember you complaining about that one. Oh, yeah. I told you about that over breakfast, didn't I? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the same ca- uh, PC game collectors also mentioned, or the KQ King's Quest 5 Yeti Pie puzzle. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Somebody mentioned that recently. I don't know if it was someone on our podcast or if I heard it on somebody else's. The Yeti Pie Puzzle. <sighs> so there's a puzzle in King's Quest V where you get killed by a Yeti. And I call it puzzle, but it's really not a puzzle. This this sequence in King's Quest V, um, you, the only way to get past this Yeti is if you knew to buy a pie from a bakery early on. And you, like, either give the pie to the Yeti or you throw the pie in the Yeti's face, I think. And so that's not even logic. That's, like, complete trial and error. You probably have, like, 40 items in your inventory by the time you get there. And maybe you visited the baker and maybe you didn't. But there's no indication that you're supposed to buy a pie. There's no indication that you're not supposed to eat it or feed it to someone. And even if you figured out, even if you guessed that you're supposed to give a pie to a Yeti, I figure you'd think that you'd give the pie to the Yeti and it would eat it and be your friend. But instead, I think you throw it in its face and it goes rawr and falls over or something. Otherwise, you're guaranteed to die. Uh, so it's a very, very bad puzzle. Sounds like a bad puzzle. That's like an example of Sierra trying to sell their hit books with a, a puzzle that makes no sense. 
Bad design. That's a developer puzzle, right? That's thinking like a developer, not a player. Exactly. And finally, Emmetoli writes, the most obvious full throttle and the biker fighting part of the game. That's which, right. Uh, which is on the old mine road, which... Was our prediction. Well, that was uh, that was uh, Trolls' prediction. Of course. So, yeah, that, that sequence is... It looks like it's a combat sequence. It feels like a combat sequence, but in fact, it's a puzzle that you have to do in a certain order. And I believe Tim Schafer has kind of lamented the design of that puzzle, saying he could have illustrated it a little bit better because people figure they weren't fighting well enough when, in fact, it's a matter of beating up the right guy and then picking up his weapon and then beating the right guy with the right weapon, like rock, paper, scissors. Okay, so let's move on to our own list of stuff. Let's. Oh, gee, we got a long list. Oh, shit, we're at an hour 20 already. Yeah, well, we'll, to, we'll go as long as we can. Okay, two hours maximum, yeah? Yeah. But we'll go, let's try to go fairly quickly. Okay. Okay, you want to do the first one? Yours are the green ones. Okay. Take any any one of the escort quests in World of Warcraft. The chances are, if you're doing one of these escort quests, you're going to get the world's slowest NPC that walks not like, like not like any other NPC. Not even, you know, casual stroll, but like plodding along like a Oppenjarian snail. With one leg. <laughs> Isn't that one leg more than snails have? I don't know anything about snail biology, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's more in the older ones, right? Like in the Burning Crusade and in Lich King. They kind of learned from that and made escort quests a little bit more palatable. Unfortunately, sometimes if they have to pick up stuff, they still move plottingly slow. That's true. And sometimes they're agromagnets and they run towards every enemy and you have to go save them. Yeah, they'll run towards an enemy and then they'll run back to where they were standing before and then walk painfully slowly back to you. That's Even right. though you just saw them run over to the MC and <laughs> run back to where they were. That's right. They tuckered them out, the little tykes. Mm-hmm. You, why don't you pick one now? Okay, um... I didn't really like this game very much, but Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I bought this, unfortunately, for five bucks uh, in the Steam Winter Sale. And I mean, it seems like it's got all the cool whatever kind of gameplay that they have in all the other Assassin's Creed games, plus they have, like, pirate ship stuff, which I didn't play long enough to get to. But... One stupid thing is that you can get these sea shanties, which I guess you use to improve the morale or something of your crew later on, I'm guessing. That's that's what you did in uh, Sid Meier's Pirates anyway. But the way that you get sea shanties is that they are these gold icons floating in midair and kind of traveling around a little bit above buildings. And as you approach them, they start to, like, fly away. Like, he can't catch me. Yeah. Very annoying. So it's like you catch the golden snitch kind of a... Harry Potter fucking thing where you have to jump around and catch this flying... It's so video gamey. They take pretty, like, well... Assassin's Creed is in some ways video gamey and in some ways kind of grounded in reality. All the areas look very realistic and your player movement and gravity are realistic, but even in the first Assassin's Creed, which is the only one I ever liked enough to finish or even play much of, um, you had to find all these flags all over the place. And that was, like, very arcadey like, pick up the cherries to win 200 points kind of a thing. So this Catch the Golden Snitch bullshit was kind of one step too much for me. I thought it was BS, and I stopped playing. Mm-hmm. All right, your turn. Uh, since uh, I've been playing a bunch of Civ Five, why don't we just mention Civ Five? Okay, so <laughs> this is it. This bugs the crap out of me. Civ Five. You... Okay, so... 
you put a town down. It don't, it's not that close to anyone else's border, but it's a little outside of you. It's a little outside of yours. What the, so then the person that is near, like several tiles away, complains that you're building near them. So you say, fine, I won't build near you. Two turns later, they plop a town right down next to you. And then you say, hey, don't build your town next to me. And they go, oh, you're being mean. And you get it, and you get negative points for uh, having asked them not to build near you. I'm going, but you just said the same thing to me. <laughs> or spreading your religion. You spread your religion. They complain. They spread your religion. They say, well, we'll do what the fuck we want. That's right. They're a bunch of crybabies. They're self-entitled. Yeah. And they want, and, uh, and then they wonder why I'm standing at the border with my uh, giant death robots armored... Uh, my mechanized armor units and my uh, infantry. Yeah, you're just like me. If they cross you once, you hold a grudge for fourteen hundred years, and then bam. Yeah, well, after <laughs> they uh, after they don't, then they don't know what the heck hit them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, my turn. Yep. All right, I'll mention another one which is similar to the first one, and that's Resident Evil Four, which is a pretty cool game. I played it for the first time uh, at your house while we were dating. Yep. You had this teeny tiny, like how big was that TV? 14 inches. They had a 14 inch CRT television and it was all like wavy and crappy looking. And uh, we went over to Gamerama and we bought a uh, GameCube, a used GameCube. And a I bunch thought of you games. got the GameCube for one of your friends and then we bought a game from Gamerama. No, the only console I bought from a friend was uh, Dreamcast. The GameCube we bought used from Gamerama for like 60 bucks or something. It was a great deal and a bunch of games. Are you sure about yes, that? Yes, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure about that. So, um,. A horror game is a great thing to play on a crappy TV because it kind of adds to the sense of the unknown, and it made the like okay graphics look a lot a lot more mysterious, I guess, because it obscures things with uh, static and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like Resident Evil Four was fine. It had cool, scary monsters and situations and stuff, but just like Assassin's Creed, it had all this really arcadey baloney in it. Like, for example, if you want to heal yourself, you could like go to a chicken coop and find a raw egg and just eat it. You're like, oh, I'm healthy now. As far as I know, you like eat it, shell and all. <laughs> and you like flex like Popeye. That's yeah. really stupid. <laughs> and but the thing that really and I mean you have to play like inventory Tetris in that game too. Like you have four things in your inventory and you have to move them just so in order for them to actually fit in there. But if you organize them in a certain way, they don't fit. Like what a dumb time waster that is. Mm -hmm. Um But uh the one that bothered me most of all was the really arcadey bonus points kind of stuff. Like you would look up, and on a tree, there would be, like, a necklace. And you'd pull out your gun, and you would shoot the necklace in the tree, and you would get points or something like that. I don't remember what you got, what you won for it, but it cost you this precious resource, ammunition, that you need to survive, and you spend it on this tr frivolous thing that is completely fourth-wall-breaking. So that is, like, unforgivable to me. It was not long after that that I gave up that game. Didn't like it. Mm -hmm. All right, your turn. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Ah, saving your game in hot tenure of the cat that wore a fedora. Mm. Uh, great game, interesting story. I very have, cute. Yeah, very cute game. I need to go back and uh, finish it. It's not a good premise. The only thing is, I hate the way you say it because you have to go find a fucking toilet in order to say a or a litter box. And because I don't know where, I only know where one litter box is. I had to walk all the way back to the building I started. And that was like an open world game or something, wasn't it? Or just a very big game with a lot of backtracking? Yeah, I had a lot of backtracking. Yeah. So, and can you die in that? I don't know. I don't think so. Or did you lose your progress at any point? I lost my progress because I couldn't save. Oh, you just got fed up with how long you were playing. Yeah. Yeah, that's frustrating. Mm -hmm. That's like 
PlayStation 1 style checkpoint gameplay. Yep. So after I figured out how to save, I actually wound up going, I actually made my, I actually, that's the first and only time I ever made a Steam guide. Mm. So that other people would know how to save. Mm. Oh yeah, because people were asking how, weren't they? I uh, know. I just looked. I'm like, this isn't intuitive. Mm-hmm. It's not intuitive. So I'm like, oh, let's just go do this. So if other people are looking, they can. They don't have to go digging on the forums to find the answer, which I did. Oh, that's cool. Because I found that when you, because when you do shift tab in the Steam game, you want and you want to look at guides. Usually, the first two, first three that are shown are often the most popular and have the most useful information for you. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, there's no guides here. This is probably what people are going to look for. Hmm. Well, good for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the graphics are cute. The story is cute, and it's actually the uh, and it's actually the uh, not the predecessor, but it the yes uh, it comes after uh, sequel. Yeah, it's the sequel to kind of sequel to uh, uh, what the hell is it called? Jones, uh, Jones, uh, Jones on Fire. It's a sequel to Jones on Fire. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, it's the same people? Yeah, same people. Oh, the graphics people are kind of similar. S- and same characters. Ah. The cat oh, that really? wore fedora. fedora. Yeah, you have cats that wear fedoras and uh, Jones on Fire. Oh, I didn't put those together. That's cute. And it's a totally different kind of game. Yes, it is. Because Jones on Fire is just like a runner arcade game. Yep, which is a really good game, too. It's cute. So why don't you take your turn next? Okay. Um, the next one I'm going to mention is Games with a World Timer. And I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into great length, but... Uh, examples that I have are Quest for Glory 4. It's World Timer, if you call it that, is that you have like 14 days or so to complete the game, and uh, time passes. Yeah, it is a World Timer. Time passes gradually as uh, as you spend time in the game, um, but more so, I think, if you do certain actions, like if you work for a while or work out or exercise or whatever. Um, and certain occurrences happen on certain days, so if you're not in the right place at the right time, you miss it forever. So that that's really annoying for me. It's a it's an open world kind of a game. So I'd rather it be more like uh, Quest for Glory One, which you can take all the time in the world if you want to to super overpower your character before you tackle the mandatory quest uh, main quest items. There's Freddy Farkas Frontier Pharmacist, um, which I just found my CD-ROM of, and I own that in the box. Um, I think it was on day two. There's like this horrible horse flatulence plague <laughs> and you have to go and solve the horse flatulence problem. <laughs> you have to like put medicine into the horse troughs or something. And if you don't do it fast enough, then everyone chokes to death, including you, and it's game over. Oh, and right. I don't like playing adventure games quickly in a race. I like taking my time and reading everything, especially an Owl Low game because everything's so funny. So that, I didn't like that. And then there's Fallout. Fallout 1 and definitely 1, probably 2 as well where the whole game is like 85 days long or something, or 185 days long. I don't like putting a whole bunch of time into an RPG just to have it end abruptly before I'm ready. Same story. I want to be able to see the sights and play it in one playthrough if I so desire. All right, that's it. Your turn. Okay, let's see. Uh, okay. This is a game that I played a, long, a while ago. It was a good adventure game, but they had this one quirk that I was... Uh, peeved me a bit. Okay, the game is My Ex-Boyfriend, the Space Tyrant. <laughs> you basically were a space captain with really slutty spacewear. And no, you're not a female captain, you're a male captain with slutty spacewear. And, um, so, 
apparently there were, you could if you finished the game you could beam down without your clothes but i didn't want to go back and play it just for that i'm like i just want to beam down without my clothes but it wouldn't let me do that anyways it would it, you couldn't just beam down you had to grab your clothes and then beam down i'm like that's stupid i want to beam down without my clothes if i can walk around my ship naked i want to walk around the world naked mm-hmm. but no i had to beam down with my clothes it didn't matter that you could get on the uh, transporter around uh, naked you, you, you just couldn't go down to the service naked I want to go down to the service naked. Wasn't that one of the uh, unlockables after you finished the game, though? Yeah, well, I don't want to sit all through, sit through all of that again. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> that was a cute game. Really cute game. I was trying to bring up my Steam, but it's being it's misbehaving. But that was like the gay the gay adventure game, right? Yep. Here we go. I'll see what the tagline is. Let's see. Ex boy. <laughs> my ex boyfriend, the space tyrant. My Ex-Boyfriend the Space Tyrant is a traditional point-and-click adventure which stands out for its gay cast and eye-catching visuals. <laughs> it was really funny. I didn't play it, but I watched Bianca play a lot of it. It's like super snarky and jokey and lighthearted and doesn't take itself seriously. It did not take itself seriously at all. And it was especially cool because it had all of these... We already talked about this, but it had all these accessibility things, which for people who had like mobility issues or something like that... Yeah. So, for example, if you if you could mouse but not very precisely, it uh, it was quite forgiving. So you could like mouse an object in the general vicinity of another object, which had a big hitbox. So as long as they came within close contact with each other, they could you could use the two objects together. That's right. You didn't have to hold the mouse button to drag or anything like that. It was very thoughtful the way they designed it. Mm-hmm. Kudos to them for that. That's a very nice touch. Yes, it is. But I still wanted to be down naked. Man. Ah. All right. Next. Oh, here's a good one. Call of Juarez Gunslinger. This is a fairly recent game. It's a first-person shooter, and kind of like Bulletstorm by a company called People Can Fly. Call of Juarez. I I know. Call of Juarez Gunslinger. I don't remember the name of the company that makes it now. That's horrible. A Polish team. Um, It's it's, a first-person shooter, a story kind of a shooter, where um, you score points based on... Like whether you get headshots or if you kill them more stylishly or lots of people in rapid succession, and you spend the points on they're like experience points. Uh, Techland, thank you, uh, Polish company. Um, You spend points on upgrades and stuff. I really like this game. Not only was it a good shooter, and it had like a an engaging, like lighthearted kind of a cool story in cowboy setting, but um, the narrator would kind of it was sort of like what the hell is it called? Oh, there's another game that I'm trying to think of now, and I can't think of the name, where it has a very charismatic uh, narrator that kind of speaks over top of the action Mm. and kind of narrates exactly, like, what you're doing. Uh, So this is sort of similar, where it would tell a story. Yeah, Um, that was actually quite cool. It was very cool. And then sometimes it was like an unreliable narrator, sort of, where he would sometimes say something and be like, oh, no, wait a minute, there wasn't a cliff here, there was actually a ladder. And then the cliff would disappear right in front of you, and, this, and a big puff of smoke would appear, and a ladder would kind of grow out of the ground. Yeah. It was really and, clever. Or, the road wasn't here. It was actually um, um, a big thorny bush. Boink. Yeah, that's right. Which was very clever. I like that a lot. So that game had everything to like about it. The only thing I didn't like were there were these one-on-one shootouts. So sometimes a boss battle would be you running around in the engine and dodging dynamite sticks or whatever, hiding behind cover, trying not to get shot by a Gatling gun or something. But uh, invariably, at the end of each of the levels, there was this one-on-one shootout where you would have to... Um, it was like aim and focus or something. So you'd have to, you'd have to uh, 
keep your hand uh, centered on your, like over your gun, ready to pull it out uh, when the time is right. And also you had to, this reticle that you would have to keep pointed at the enemy. So it was two hands that you had to juggle at the same time. And I didn't really enjoy those because I would just fail at them and have to do them over and over and over until I finally win. It wasn't rewarding. It was just like a, a gate in the way of my progress. But other than that, it's a really, really good game with quite a beautiful engine. And it was a, a budget game, too. It's like 15 bucks new. Maybe it's less now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful scenery, for sure. It is. Really, really good one. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next? Uh, Call of Duty. But... I love these games. I've never. I don't really have a problem with any particular one. Usually, just the story. If it's story stupid, but that's not a. But that doesn't bother me as much as this. Save points. Save points are good, except when you get automatically saved to a point where you're about to get a grenade lobbed at your head, and you don't. And you have two seconds to get your ass out of there. I can't think of how many times I got saved with a grenade being thrown at me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the worst. Although if you're lucky, sometimes the AI would stop, would not be throwing the grenade when you respawned. Mm-hmm. But other times you would respawn, look around, oh, German grenade! Boom, dead. Yep, yep. That's happened to me many, many times. Oh, and it was just so hard to get out of. I actually did restart a level going back to a previous checkpoint out of desperation. Yeah, it happens to all of us. It's either an autosave or like a, yeah, an autosave where you, you quick save yourself and you wish you didn't. Mm-hmm. That does happen. I, th- I don't remember if it was Max Payne 2. It might have been. Where it had auto... S- no, I don't know. I can't remember what game it was now. Maybe it was a Call of Duty game. Where if you die within like two seconds of the autosave more than twice in a row, then it reverts you back to a previous save from like ten seconds before. That was really clever. I wish I could remember what game that was. Oh, that's brilliant. Max Payne 2, I'm remembering actually, doesn't autosave anywhere really, except for the beginning of levels. So you have to quick save all over. Mm-hmm. That's a great game, though. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, L.A. Noir. It has two... Uh, there's a lot to like about L.A. Noir. Because the dialogue is pretty good and the presentation is amazing. I especially like that you can play it in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, it had driving, which was completely pointless. It had driving just for the sake of it. it there's like no. There's just no reason why you should drive from place to place. It was a time waster. Uh-huh. Actually, I like the driving. It's just scenic, and the cars actually handled quite well. It's fun of you because they it was like 1930s style cars, so that was fun. I like that. 1930s style cars. So when you say the cars handle quite well, you mean they handle like garbage? <laughs> they handled better than most other rock star cars. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, they handled better than uh, at the time than like Grand Theft Auto Four. Grand Theft Auto Four was like driving a fucking shopping cart at 100 miles an hour. Oh, I, yeah, it was. I got used to that. I didn't really get used to it in L.A. Noir. I think you're right, actually. I thought LA Noir cars to have better traction. You might be right about that, actually. But it was pointless, but I kind of enjoyed seeing the scenery anyway, because mm-hmm. they do such a great job of world building. Yeah. And you didn't have to do the driving, because you could actually have your partner drive for the most part. So driving was optional. Oh, really? Yeah. But the biggest, most egregious flaw, which caused me to quit the game, was the way that the dialogue was handled. The interviews? Yeah. It was completely arbitrary, I think. Um you would, you would have these uh, interrogations where you had to coax information out of someone who was lying with you or was afraid to tell you the truth for whatever reason. And you could do, like, the nice guy approach, like the intelligent approach or the aggressive approach, something like that. Um, and you're supposed to be able to decide which of those approaches to take based on what you knew about the person and especially having to do with their mannerisms and their facial expressions because it had this really cool motion capture thing where the faces look really good. Yeah, and 
if you spoke to uh, other uh, uh, the other uh, officers on uh, at the scene, they would tell you about the you would get a bit of information about the witness, which uh, did make the puzzles a little easier. I finished the game, so I found that as long as you uh, talked to the other officers before you spoke to the witness, you usually had a pretty good opportunity to make progress with the witness. Did you use a walkthrough in the end, though? I don't uh, remember. No, I didn't. I used. I don't think I used a walkthrough. If I did, it must have been. Uh, just to check something on the direction I needed to go in because oh, I, I thought it was just for the dialogue. No, I didn't. I didn't really use that for the dialogue. Oh, okay, good for you. I didn't do that for the dialogue. I might have done it to do some achievements, like exploration achievements. Okay, well, I got fed up with it because not only is it not always clear which of those approaches you're supposed to take and when, um, and you fail if you take the wrong one. But um, no, or are you like you get the bad ending or whatever? You, if you get the wrong information, you have actually less evidence to work with, which means that um, you ultimately struggle to make a case. Which means you could, which means that uh, you may let the bad guy get away, even if you do pass the level. Okay, right, and then you can't really quick save or anything. You have to go back pretty far and do the whole conversation over again, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, not only that, but it's one of those kinds of games where it like shows you in the interface, sort of the kind of thing that you're about to say, but. So often I would choose something and my protagonist would be so much angrier and more aggressive than I had intended him to be. So that pissed me off. Oh, well, I don't want to go on at length about it, but that was that, that was my flaw with that game. And that's why I couldn't bear to finish it, even though it looked like the, you do a lot of cool stuff. You do do a lot of cool stuff. It was a good one. And it was a good introduction. And I love the start to that game, too, because you start off as just a beat cop. Right. And then you have to go solve this uh, crime scene. Then you get promoted to a detective and you get to drive around in this nice flashy car. It's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And you have your different partners and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you get promoted and everything, which is cool. I'd like to have played through it, but I wish there was I wish like there was something on screen that just told me all the right answers because I really don't care about that shit. Mm -hmm. And I love looking around the crime scenes, too, for evidence. That was fun, too. Mm -hmm. And then you would turn and then you actually would pick up some of the evidence and just look and you had to turn your mouth to look at it. That's the only thing I really found annoying is that if you just didn't look at it the right way, you'd have to keep turning it. Yeah, that's right. It would like automatically zoom in when you were turning it at the right angle. Mm -hmm. But interesting idea. All right, what do you have next? Um, Fahrenheit. Uh -huh. I love that game, but the only thing I didn't like is the fence climbing puzzle. That's the only thing you didn't like? That and that... Uh, the breathing when, with Carla when oh, you're trying to go yeah. in the dark. You're trying to keep her from having a panic attack. In a dark friggin' uh, archive because the light didn't work and her flashlight failed. A lot of people had trouble with that I saw in the Steam forums. I never had a problem with that somehow. I guess it's just a coordination thing. You either got it or you don't. I get. I got it eventually. Like I just, uh, I'm like, okay, this is stupid. I'm not going to get it. I, uh, I quit and then I went back a couple of days later and I got it. Okay, I remember you struggling with that a few times, but especially mm -hmm. the fence thing. The fence, oh, I fell so many times on my... A lot of people do. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I love the music that plays then. <laughs> oh, you like the I'm freaking the fuck out because I can't climb a thing music? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, what else have we got? Uh, oh, did I forget to mark that one? Okay, what else we got? Um, let's see. You want to mark? You want to do any, one of yours? Let's see. Okay. Um, let's talk about Guild Wars 1. Good game. Great game. Love that game like crazy. A fantastic game. But no jumping. Yeah, but I... My like... jump button's broken way! I know. Well, we would make fun of that. I, li I, I like games when they don't have jumping, because it means that you have to... You have to figure... You have to solve the damn puzzle. Doom has no jumping, and it doesn't need it. It's better for it. Well, what are you going to jump on in Doom? A computer? 
maybe. <laughs> so, um... You think Mario would be better if it didn't have jumping? Yes. <gasps> do, 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 pipe, pipe, and pipe. Yeah, and then you're done. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Guild Wars 1, my only complaint about Guild Wars 1, perhaps the only complaint I could think of, because I love that game, and it's this was a complaint that I had because it was something that I wasn't yet used to. <clears throat> my complaint was that they would sometimes change the artificial intelligence and sometimes change the way skills behaved, uh, just in the name of game balance. Um, the one that ticked me off more than anything was they improved the AI so that um, enemies would run... If you made an, an area of effect spell on the ground, enemies would run out of it. So they would get hit once or twice, and then they would run out of it, which uh, meant that you had to come up with another skill that would hold them in place or something like that. Uh, before that, they would enemies would just swarm around you stupidly, and you could just stand inside of your area of effect, and they would melt down to nothing while you heal yourself. Yeah. So, I didn't like having to come up with a new strategy. And, I mean, in the end, it's better for it. I mean, the game is more challenging, and it's more interesting, and you have to get a better grasp of your skills. You can't just find one strategy and stick with it forever. But that was something I had to get used to. And in Guild Wars' favor... Um, they eventually split. They have like a, 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 a PvE stuff, player versus environment kind of gameplay, which is cooperative. And they also had PvP, player versus player content, which is competitive. And usually in a massively multiplayer game, you have the same skills for both of those game modes. But Guild Wars might be the only game I know that actually forked the skills so that you have the same skills, but they behave differently in in co-op than they do in in PvP. Some skills were uh, branched, some others weren't. So. Yes, yeah, some do. So sometimes a skill would be overpowered in player versus player. Uh, so they just uh, nerfed it for player versus player without crippling it in single player. So Whereas World of Warcraft would cripple it for both and piss off, always piss off one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So good for ArenaNet for taking on that, all that extra work of, of having to balance things twice, mm-hmm. just to keep people happy. That's very impressive. Let's see, what else have we got? Do we want to do anything else? Mm, do you have any other good ones that you want to mention? Well, I, you already talked about those two, I guess. Uh, you want that one, or are you beating a dead horse? Do I want to beat a dead horse? Nah, I won't beat a dead horse. That's not nice. Alright, so let me come up with one more, then. Uh, what You have a couple more here. I have a few more, but some of these are kind of obvious. Uh... Okay, I have two more. I'm just gonna. I have three more, but I'm just gonna say one of them. Okay. Uh, the other, the last one I'm gonna mention is Portal Two. So that's a game that I love. I love the single player game. I love the co op game. It was so cool doing co op puzzles with Bianca. We actually <laughs> got the achievement for finishing every single one. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We even tried some of the uh, player created levels, but whatever. Yeah, I like the I like the main the regular ones best of all. But my pet peeve in Portal Two is actually the writing. The writing is fantastic in Portal 2. It's very, very funny. Um, and it stays funny for a long time, which is such a hard thing to do, and especially with your protagonist never saying a word. Um, what I didn't like about the dialogue was that uh, basically every other player is a computer. Every other character is a computer. And in Portal 1, the antagonist, GLaDOS, always seems like a computer. And it's these like very slight kind of human mannerisms which give her her character. Whereas in Portal 2, all the computers act absolutely like humans. They don't really act like computers at all, in my mind. And that seemed kind of thematically inconsistent to me, and it was something that really took away from the magic. 
the writing was very funny, and I enjoyed all the stuff that they said, but they just didn't seem like the characters that they had been established to be in the first one, or at least Gladys is the only character, but they didn't really follow that lead, I felt. So that was something that kind of bothered me throughout. That being said, maybe I should replay that game again, because that game is just so funny and such a fun fun game. All right, I guess that's enough for this this uh, show, huh? We went longer than I than I hoped that we would. Yeah, and I think we actually covered everything we wanted to cover. Pretty well. Good yeah. for us. Yay. All right, you want to take us on home, Tuts? Okay. Thanks for listening once again. And uh, if you would like to reach us, you can find us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. You can email us your voicemail and letters at squarefm at demodulated.com. Or you can... Uh, Tell us what you think in 140 characters on Twitter, where we are, at Square Waves FM. That's right. Oh, and one last thing that we forgot to follow up on. Yes. Uh, nobody made animal noises. Oh, I know. What a bunch of losers. That's right. However, uh, Ben Chandler said, hooroo for now. So that kind of sounds like an owl. <laughs> so let's call that an animal noise. So, true. Ben, you, you win. Call us- oh, true. It could be a barn, ar- bar- a barn owl. Yes. So, Ben, you are the winner of our barnyard animal sound thing because the way that your people speak natively and naturally sounds like barnyard animals to us <laughs> to us cultured Canadian folk yeah <laughs> so we, for your ben, Australian mating call we give you Plantera <laughs> that's right so congrats Ben and just to say thanks to Trolls and to Joe for sending us their voicemails this week we're going to send them a little something as well we, we found a, a little trove of leftover keys and so we went over their uh, Steam lists and saw a couple of games they don't have so Gentlemen will be uh, sending you a couple of uh, Steam keys as well. There's a whole lot they don't have. They also have some skimpy uh, Steam lists. Yeah, what's the matter with you people? Aren't you gamers? No, they have, they have taste. They play cool retro games, and we play a bunch of newfangled baloney. So we're going to send them some newfangled baloney to, <laughs> to, to taint their, their, their good list. True. I mean, Trolls had, what, 50 games? Yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, and what do we have? You have, like, 600-something. I got, like, 500-something. Thereabouts. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yep. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye. Beep. Beep. Yeah.